Yes, today we look at, at, at prophecy for purity, and we look at power for family. And so we read in verse 9, it says, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wish as it is written of him. You know, we need purity. Uh, you guys, we need to get on track. We as a church, you guys know what church means? It comes from the Greek word that means called out of the world. We're supposed to be different, not weird, but strange. Uh, we're supposed to stand out like, a, like a, a light in the darkness, you know, like a sore thumb. And so, you know, we got to ask God to work in our lives. Lord, make me pure. Prophecy has the potential to do that. And that's something that we're going to touch on in the beginning of our study today. Because here we read about them going down the mountain. If you were here last week, remember that we talked about the fact that they had witnessed the majesty of the Messiah. Jesus was there. They went up the mountain to pray. And he was changed. He was altered, he was, uh, man, they saw him glorified. They saw Jesus, uh, they also saw Elijah and they saw Moses, right? And so as they're going down the mountain, Jesus said, don't tell anybody what you just saw until after I've risen from the dead. Uh, I think if word got out prematurely, then it would have hindered the ministry. And so the Lord said, don't say anything. And they're compliant with that request to be quiet but they have a couple of questions. Now, one question they ask, the other they don't ask. They didn't know what Jesus meant when he talked about rising from the dead, but they didn't ask about that. Uh, later, we'll talk more about that. But they did have a question about Elijah. They said, okay, we saw Elijah up there, and we have a question, Lord. The scribes, the teachers, the scholars of the scriptures, they say that Elijah is supposed to come first. And so can you give us a little insight on what that means, right? And they all knew Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. The Bible says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so they knew Elijah was coming back. If you guys remember in the Old Testament, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, Elijah never died. Elijah was taken up into heaven on a chariot of fire. And so why didn't he die? The answer is because he was going to return one day. They knew Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. And so when they saw Elijah there on the mountain, they had that question, what's going on? with Elijah. And so the Lord here, he, uh, he gives us an answer that maybe won't be as simple as you might think, you know, but um, I believe you guys are smart. That's my belief, right? You guys, uh, I know a lot of you right now are daydreaming, but you know, come here, hold on just a second. Come back just for a second, okay? Some people say, well, man, you should kind of dumb it down on a Sunday morning because, you know, you got people there that don't really understand the Bible or they're not all that intellectual, you know? And, but I refuse to do that. I'm going to share with you the scriptures to 
the, the best of my ability, having a balanced perspective. I believe you can understand these things. I do believe, but you got to pay attention. You got to stop thinking about pizza right now <laughs> and in and out and all the other things that you're thinking because you want to know something as we focus, as we concentrate, as we study, as we ask God to give us insight into his word, then he's going to teach us these things. I was talking to a dear sister earlier, and she was saying, you know, I don't have a degree, and I, I don't have a high education, but I understand the Bible. And it was so cool because she wasn't bragging or anything, but she was saying that God uses me to minister to people who have master's degrees because they don't understand the Bible. But as we study it together, we can understand the scriptures. And with the question about Elijah, it's an interesting answer. What Jesus essentially says is that Elijah has come. He's already come. That's the past. But he also said he's going to come. And, and that's the future. Notice again there in verse 12. Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. Elijah is coming. That's future. But verse 13, he says, but I say to you that Elijah has also come. Has also come, that's past. And what we find is this, you guys, when it comes to the reference of Malachi chapter four, verse five, regarding Elijah coming back, is that he first came back in the spirit and power of Elijah within the ministry of John the Baptist. You know, we read that in Luke chapter one, verse 17, in the prophecy regarding John, when the angel Gabriel appeared to his father Zacharias and he spoke to him about that ministry, speaking of John, he said, he will also go before him, speaking of the Messiah, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah that's clearly, explicitly articulated later in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17 and verse 12, where Jesus said, I say to you, Elijah has come already. They didn't know him, but they did to him whatever they wish. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. And so regarding Elijah, and I want you guys to know this. I want you to be prophecy people, you know. If someone comes up to you, I'll come up to you after, after service today. I'm going to say, okay, what's up with Elijah? This is what you're going to say. Okay, well, he already came, first of all, in the spirit and power of Elijah manifested in the ministry of John the Baptist. That's past, right? But it's also future. He is also going to come. And the second fulfillment about Elijah will be fulfilled when he literally, actually, physically returns to planet Earth, something you'll find over in the book of Revelation chapter 11, where he, along with Moses, they're the two prophets spoken of there, when these men appear together in Revelation 11. And it's interesting, there they are in uh, you know, Mark chapter nine, appearing together as well, right? Because of the ministry that they would have in the future. And I read about them in Revelation 11, three, I'll give them power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So two witnesses during the tribulation period, Revelation 11, four through six, it gives a description of their ministry. And when you study the Bible, you'll see it's reminiscent. I mean, it's almost identical to the ministry of Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament. It says that these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. 
needs to have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the day of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so, when you read the Old Testament, you realize, man, this sounds like Moses and Elijah. Elijah was the one that called down fire from heaven. Elijah was the one that shut the the heavens so that it didn't rain when he said it wasn't gonna rain, and he even prayed that it would rain, and he opened the heavens. Moses was the one that turned water to blood. Moses was the one used by God to bring these plagues in Egypt. And so, you know, what we find, and you guys, I just want you to know this, uh, regarding Elijah, past, it's in reference to John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, but present, physically, future, we see it literally comes to pass. And so here's the thing, you guys. As I was going through this right here, I was thinking to myself, man, it's interesting. One word stands out to me. Let's read verse 11 again. And they asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They said, why does the scribes say Elijah must come first? Jesus then said the same thing in the very next verse. He said, Elijah is coming first. And you know what that tells me, you guys? That tells me that even though they weren't like necessarily, you know, they're just fishermen. They knew the order of events in prophecy. They knew what was gonna happen first, and so should we. If I were to ask you today, what's next in the prophetic calendar? You know, what's going on in the world that we live in? What, what's, uh, you know, on the agenda of Almighty God? What would you say? What I wanna do is I wanna spend a few minutes giving you a few things regarding prophecy, uh, 27 things, real quick. No, I'm just joking, not 27 <laughs> things. 10 things, okay? And I know you guys, a lot of you here don't write uh, notes, but if you have a pen or if you have a phone and you can overcome the temptation to go over to Facebook, you know, and just take notes on your phone, I mean, here's 10 things to think about. What's next? I want you guys to know. Now, we're not 100% sure, but more than likely the next thing, what's coming first, so to speak, is the rapture of the church, the rapture. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. A lot of other passages, but I'll just share that with you. That, man, any moment now, you guys, any moment now, it could happen before I finish this very sentence and I'm about to speak, you know? I mean, any moment the Lord might come. The Bible says, no man knows the day or the hour. So just like in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter five and verse 24, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse five, that he walked by faith and therefore he never tasted death. Enoch is a picture of the church that gets raptured out. And at any moment, at any time, we gotta be ready because Jesus is coming. And so that, what that does, man, to, to be honest with you, when I really understand prophecy, is it purifies me. Am I ready? Am, am I walking with, the, with God? John 2, 28, will I be ashamed when he comes? When he comes, what will I be doing? Where will my condition of my heart be? You know, when you understand that the Lord can come at any time, then you live your life in the light of his eminent return. 
Okay, so that's something to take into consideration. But another thing on the prophetic calendar that actually might happen next, because we're not sure which comes first, but another thing, number two, is that Russia, Iran, and other Arab nations will invade Israel. Did you know that? I mean, it says that in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And man, I don't know about you, but I trip out on that because it wasn't that long ago where Israel wasn't even a nation. You go back to 1947, there was no Israel. I mean, as far as a, a land mass and where they could claim as their own, the Jews were scattered throughout the world. But then God brought them from all over the world and he regathered them, he reformed them, he remade them as a nation. Never happened before. What that is, is a sign to the world that there is a living God. And we're living now in the last of the last days. So Israel's there. Some people thought, well, Russia, they're no big deal anymore, you know, after, you know, the, the Cold War is over and we're not, they're not gonna be a threat anymore. And next thing you know, Russia starts rising. Next thing you know, Russia starts for the first time in the history of the world, they align themselves with Iran, which the Bible calls Persia. And so the next thing we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is that Russia, Iran, Arab nations will invade Israel. You read Ezekiel 36 and 37 and it blows your mind because those are prophecies regarding how in the last days the Jews would come back to the land. It's exactly like the Bible says. So what's first? What's next? We know because we know our Bible and we've been taught the rapture can happen at any time. Israel can be invaded at any time. Of course we know God's gonna give Israel the victory but that leads to then the third thing on this list, and that is that there will be a seven-year peace treaty signed in Israel. And that's over in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And so there's going to be a peace treaty signed in Israel. Can I ask you guys a question for those of you who watch the news every once in a while? I know you're, you're probably not news junkies or anything, but man, this seems to be everywhere. Do you ever hear of anyone, as far as our political figures, ever talking about how they would like to bring peace to the Middle East? Have you ever heard of a United States or some ambassador, some envoy going to Israel, trying to somehow strike a peace treaty in Israel? All the time. All the time, you see, and that's what we find the Bible says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Now, at this case, we believe it's probably going to be, you know, after this whole thing happens, and then, you know, they're probably going to make a, a peace treaty so that they can rebuild their temple. Somehow, you know, they're going to be able to coexist. And, you know, these are the things that are next on the prophetic calendar. After that, we have number four, the seven year tribulation period, described in Revelation chapter 6, verse 19. And that's the final week of the 70 week of Daniel where God will deal with the Jews, he'll bring them to himself, and God will smite the earth in judgment. And so that seven years of tribulation, you know, there's a few things I think are significant during that time. During that time, there'll be a rise of a dominant world leader, leader from the European Union, which again is a fairly new concept to us, but recently, you know, the revived Roman Empire, it's, it's just, man, we see it right in front of our eyes. A leader from there will rise to lead the world, and he will be called the Antichrist. 
First three and a half years, he looks like a great guy. He seems to conquer the world through peace. But then the last three and a half years, it's all hell on earth and judgment from heaven. So that's what we have ahead. Okay, if you are not right with God, and I'm not trying to, to scare you, you know, but maybe I am, I'm just a little bit, you know. You guys, I love you, we love you. Don't continue to live a life of disobedience. Don't go out there and say, yeah, I went to church, but you know what, afterwards, I used to do that. I used to go to church and then afterwards go get drunk, go get high, go sleep around, go do my thing. It's because I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Lord then. If you know the Lord, you don't do that. If you don't, you know, Lord, you come to church because you want God, you know, to, to, to work in you and to change you. Because if you don't and you're playing games, you got one foot in, one foot out, and you're going to get left behind. And there's a scary verse in the book of 2 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2 that says you might not even be able to be saved. So you got to, if you hear his voice and the Lord is calling you and saying, I love you, get your life right. Don't wait till tomorrow. Because that seven-year tribulation is gonna be all hell on earth. It's the wrath of the lamb, the Bible says. After that, number five is Armageddon. And you're like, hey, I saw the movie. No, not the movie, okay? The Bible talks about Armageddon when after that seven years, it's just crazy. The whole world comes against Jesus, but Revelation chapter 19 says he comes back on a white horse and man, he's got on his thigh, king of kings, lord of lords, and he smites the earth. That's the battle of Armageddon. After that is the judgment of the nations, according to Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where he separates the sheep from the goats and he judges them based on how they treated the Jews. Some will go forth into the millennial kingdom, while others will perish. After that, we have the thousand year reign of Christ, also known as the millennial kingdom. You can read about that in Revelation 21 through six where Satan will be bound in the abuso for 1,000 years. We'll finally get to know what it's like for Jesus to be our king. Isn't that gonna be cool? And we will reign with him, the Bible says. Based on our faithfulness, he will assign us responsibilities. I already got Almani, but you guys can probably get a different city. No, I'm just joking, I got Hawaii. But you know, a thousand years, man, we're gonna be able to experience that crazy thing is after that, Satan gets released again, he comes out, he musters up a rebellion, and what we have after that is the final world rebellion, number eight, followed by the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. And the great white throne judgment is where everyone who's judged who doesn't know the Lord And they're gonna judge you based on your works and because you're a sinner and you separate yourself from God, the Bible says, if your name is not found written in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. After the great white throne judgment, we have the new heaven and the new earth described in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Now, of course, there are other things, you know, within that realm. I mean, we talk about the Bema Seat judgment, different things like that. But just to give you guys a little bit, we don't talk a whole lot of prophecy, but I wanted to give you something. And for if any of you here took notes, I would love to see your notes, man, because that will encourage me. And then I'll know somebody wrote something down, okay? <laughs> but, what, but what I'm saying is that here in the passage, they knew what was first, man. They knew about prophecy. They knew like a certain order of events. 
And so should we. So should we. Because I believe that as we do, then prophecy brings purity. There's a really beautiful passage in 1 John 3, verse two and three. It says, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't know all the details of it, but we do know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you guys believe that? Do you know that one day you're gonna see the Lord and you're gonna be like him? You're gonna be complete, you're gonna be saved. I mean, this is awesome, right? Now the Bible says if you believe that, if you have that in your heart, it says and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so there is this element where prophecy brings purity. And I pray, dear church, bride of Christ, that you and I would have a heart to be pure. Okay, so number two in our text today, after prophecy for purity, is power for family. Because look what happens next. And so they talk about Elijah, and then what we have in verse 14 is that when he came to the disciples, Mark 9 verse 14, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what's up, man? What are you guys discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And so Peter, James, and John, they get a lesson on prophecy as they make their way down the mountain. And then what usually happens when you make your way down the mountain, and you're there, and it's been awesome, and it's been this great experience of the kingdom of God, is now you're, you're in this mission in, in the demon-possessed valley, right? I don't know if you've never met anybody who's demon-possessed, but there are people out there. There are people out there who are oppressed by demons. There are people out there who are harassed by demons. I mean, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a battle against you and that person. It's a battle against you and the devil. And you're battling for your children against the devil. And so they brought... You know, he, this father, he brings his son to Jesus. It's his only child, the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it's 9.28. Only child, it's his son. His son is demon-possessed. And so what ends up happening is Jesus isn't there. He, so they take him to the followers of Jesus, and they figure, well, you know, I'm sure the followers can help us out, right? They can't. They have no power. No power, no strength, no, they can't defeat these demons. That's the situation that we see. And you know, when you look at this, it just kind of breaks your heart because that's the reality of it, you know? I mean, for all of us here, you guys know, and I'm sure you feel the same way I do, it's our family, huh? We love our family, we care for our family. Lord, I wanna make a difference in my family. But then the enemy comes in and he has a field day. Lord, what do we do? You know, the Lord here, he teaches us so much, but you know what? I wanna tell you this, that you should have power over demons. 
You should. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to him, and he is with us. Therefore, no demon should be able to stand against you. But the Lord here was kind of disappointed with his disciples. You know, look what happens in verse 19. He answered and, and said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. You know, we go through hard times, and uh, I don't know, I, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, variables involved in the battles that we're in for our family and different things, you guys. But have you ever like asked God, Lord, how long? How long, you know, will it be until they get their life right? How long will it be until, you know, this situation gets rectified? How long will it be, Lord? And you're almost like complaining to God. When in one sense, God can say the same thing to you. How long? How long will you continue to be disobedient in your prayer life? How long will you continue to doubt? That's, the, uh, that's the, the, really the epitome of doubt. You don't pray. I mean, if you really believe that God would work and God can move and God is alive and God hears your cries and all things are possible, if you really believe that, then you would pray but you don't. A lot of times we don't. Some of you do. Most of you probably don't. Why? Well, you're Manny. Come on, Manny. You're, it's kind of heavy burden, man. As you're putting on me, Manny. Uh, no, I'm just saying pray. <laughs> pray. You know, I mean, I can't think of anything more important. It seems like the Holy Spirit has been emphasizing this to us as a church. You know, in the Saturday morning prayer meetings, the guys are coming out. It's just so beautiful how God is bringing, man, these guys out to pray on Saturday mornings. I pray you guys come. Let's see what God will do. Sunday night, six o'clock, opportunity to pray. Come, let's see what God will do. How does God want you to pray? I mean, you wake up in the morning, spending time with him, and maybe at night now, maybe in the noontime, maybe rather than, I don't know, and I don't want to sound like some legalistic Pharisee, but maybe rather than, you know, watching so many ball games or, you know, watching so much television or doing all the other stuff that really is not edifying, why not just go and get on your knees and pray? I really encourage you guys, because you know, we're asking the Lord how long, and the Lord is asking us the same thing. How long? You know, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And, and you know, it is, he is talking to his disciples because he had given them authority over demons. They had seen so much, and he would even ask them from time to time, how is it that you have no faith? I mean, he was amazed that they didn't have faith. So he's definitely indicting his disciples, but not just his disciples, the entire nation. Because he says right there, oh, faithless 
generation. And so they, they bring the son to him in verse 20, then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he throws him, he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, and I don't know what's going on in your life. I would venture to say that all of us here have some mountain to move. That there's some loved one that we are called to stand in the gap for. You know, God is alive and he hasn't changed and he's able to do anything. I think like in one sense, I think you can probably describe some Christians as, as no things, like no things are going on. And, and some Christians, it's some things. Well, some things are going on. But then there are those other Christians who can be described as all things. All things that God wants to do. All things that God has set before them to obtain. They are one of those Christians who believe in a God that can do all things. I'm not saying you get your health, wealth, and prosperity all the time. It doesn't always work that way, but whatever the will of God is. You know, this guy right here, he's like, if you can do anything, and Jesus is like, well, if you can believe, right? But then it's so cool because the guy's honest, and I'll bet you almost anything, a lot of us here can say the same thing that he said. Look what he says right here. He says in verse uh, 24, immediately the father of the child, he cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, now come on, I'm gonna test you right now, okay? See if you're liars or not, okay? How many of you can relate to that at times? Lord, I, I, I believe, but, but sometimes I struggle. Lord, I, I do, but, but I don't. And I, and I know you did it for him and for her and for them, but Lord, I, I wonder sometimes if you're gonna do it for me. You know, and the Lord is so cool. You know, he'll meet us there. You know, when Jesus saw, verse 25, that the people came running together, there was like a crowd forming, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead so that many said he's dead. They thought he was dead but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he rose and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? They had one last question. Lord, why couldn't we do it? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And, and we learn about you know, prophecy that leads to, to purity. 
And, and we learn today about how we need power for our family. You guys, you don't have to know Greek. You don't have to have a degree in uh, hermeneutics or the science of interpretation. You don't have to, like, well, I'll be a super saint or I've been a Christian, you know, for, for decades to figure this out. Lord, why is it sometimes that we lack power? Why is it sometimes that I just seem to, to be defeated like Peter with this 14-year-old girl? All she says is, well, you were with him, and next thing you know, he denies the Lord. Why is it that we fall so easily, so many times? And, and the answer is so simple, you guys, because we need to be praying and we need to be fasting in a way that is obedient unto God. You know, and I'm not going to tell you how long it is. God will tell you. And God will give you all the divine details. That's if you want that power. If you don't, you go along your merry way and you live your life the way you live it and whatever happens, you might get some things, you might get no things. But if you want all things to glorify God and to bless your family and all the people that you and I are responsible for, we got to be a people who pray, who pray and, and fast. Yesterday, I know there were some of you, and I was just so grateful to God, you know, where I would get an email or a text message or somebody told me, hey, Manny, I'm fasting, you know. I know not all of you can because you might have diabetes or some other thing, you know, and I totally know that you got to make sure you're okay with your doctor, man, but, you know, as we're seeking the Lord, first Saturday of the month, one meal, second, two meals, three meals, Three, third Saturday is, is three meals, just not eating. It, it's, it's not because we're, we want to be seen by men. It's because we want to be seen by God. We want God to see, Lord, there's a people here who believe in you. And, you know, we're not perfect. You know, I like to eat. I love food. I agape pizza, I have to admit. Man. You know, but... You know, you just come to that place in your life and you read the scriptures and you let the Holy Spirit lead you and then you just realize, man, Lord, uh, the only way I'm gonna, you're gonna move is if at the end of the day, here's what happens when you fast, you say no to yourself. You take up your cross and you follow him. You see, that's Christianity. And I believe that God wants to move. You know, I believe that he wants to bless you as Christians. He wants to use your life. He has a, a pathway of victory for your family. You know, and as you're here today and maybe you're, you're not a Christian or maybe you've been struggling, you know, in life, you know, what we have in church is opportunities, man, for us to, to come to the love of Jesus Christ. You know, what I'm sharing with you today, it really is a message of, of love, man. He loves you. He died for you. Question, do you love him? If today you'd be willing to say, Lord, I give you my life, I, I wanna love you back, then you know what, that's the key. My prayer is that, that all of us would have that relationship. One last thing, because as I was sitting there worshiping uh, before the study, I thought of that, 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 those two words, all things, all things. And, you know, that means a lot, you know, I think in our life as a whole. But here we are today, and 
when I was sitting there, I was just thinking, Lord, you know, how about all these people? You guys aren't things, okay? You're people. You're beautiful people created in the image of God. My prayer is that all of you here would know the love of God. That all of you here would walk with power, supernatural power. That all of you here would have a relationship with God that is right and rooted in the love of the cross where he loved you so much that he died for you. And so if you don't know the Lord, or if you're not walking in that power, my prayer is that you would not leave until you come to that place where you would submit your life and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and that you would make a decision today to fully follow 